does it remind it to you? Uh, that he's a rock star. Okay. <laughs> Shane is rock. He was. Shane is rocking the Euroleague once again. He was. He was uh, unstoppable last night. He's becoming the fourth quarter Shane Larkin that we got used to. Yeah. A uh, couple of years ago, he was uh, decisive against Jalgiris in the overtime and in the end of the regulation, if I remember well. 10 points in the fourth quarter in Monaco as well. Is that a turning point for, for FS? It nah. should be. It should be. Two wins nah, in a row. I the first, it is. Especially this one against Monaco away. I mean, already against Jalgiris, I think in Turkey and on, on social media, there were a lot of rumors about Erdem Can. And I was like, I want, you know, you want Lithuanian teams to win in the EuroLeague. But at the same time, I didn't want that to be the last game of Erdem Can. And they managed to turn it around. Players show more intensity. And, uh, you know, that was that was a good win, you know, not letting Jalgiris to steal that one. And now against Monaco away, against, you know, Monaco team with Jordan Lloyd. A so, team that was on a winning streak coming also, into that game. As well, too. So I think that's a really good win. FS are starting to build some momentum. Players are starting to understand, I think, better their roles. Uh, Shane Larkin, you know, Will Clyburn was amazing last game. Shane was amazing in this one, you know, as well as he closed out last yeah. game. So and I think ev- Dar- everything is starting to fall Dar- in, in place. Darius also stepping his game up. More, more consistent, mm-hmm. yeah. two games in a row. Of course, he fouled out versus Jargiris. He couldn't play in the overtime, but in general, it was a good game for him and, and yesterday as well. 16-5, and five, three steals, good yeah. shooting percentages, two turnovers only. FS had 24 assists and, and, and seven turnovers. That's a sign of a team coming together offensively, which we, they struggled with in the, in the, let's say, in the first six or seven games. And some of the uh-huh. shots that, that Shane Larkin made, you can just say it was great defense. There's nothing you mm-hmm. can do about it, especially that one of the last plays uh, versus Alpha Diallo. It closed the game, basically. It, it basically closed the game. But it's it's a tough shot. You can just approach Alpha Diallo and shake his hand and say, that was great defense. <laughs> at, at the same time, some, just Shane Larkin. some might say that these were lucky shots, but at the same time, these were shots that Shane Larkin is capable of, of making. Yeah, it, it, these are lucky shots if, if a regular player... Yeah, hit three or four of those in in one game. Then you say these are lucky shots. Some random role player just stepping. Or up. if like Edgar Oslano or Arnas Bukavic well, starts making those shots. That used to happen consistently last year, yeah. somehow. But if Shane Larkin does it, you you just appreciate greatness. I mean, there are some players, elite players like Shane, like like uh, James, like some others in Euroleague that you expect to make those shots. Other guys, mm-hmm. even if they, I'm not saying make those shots, if they take those shots, you say they're crazy. That's the level of basketball we're talking about. I mean, this Monaco FS game was actually a really high quality game in general. Uh, Monaco made a couple of comebacks. They were they were down most of the time. They managed to respond. You can see how much Jordan Lloyd brings to the team, uh, how important he is, and. I cannot say that Monaco really played bad, but it's it's just FS with, with Shane, with Darius Thompson making all the right plays. Bobois had a crazy game. Yeah, Rod, Rod, Rodrigue Bobois, I think he His had some favorable matchups and, and he managed to capitalize on that. And, you know, he has a very good first step. He has this great way of attacking the closeout, uh, creating his own shot. Also, there are 
sets they're running for him as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, these guys were performing even though Will Clyburn didn't have a, a particularly good game. Uh, Only four points for him, yeah. But but the guards, the guards of FS, kind of reminded of the good old days with Vasa, Mitzic, Shane Larkin, Bobois, and also Kruno Simon in the mix. Well, in the last three games, FS are uh, FS have num number two second offensive rating in, in the whole EuroLeague, although they had 11 for 12, if I'm not mistaken, in the first five rounds. And I really liked uh, what Erdem, Erdem John did uh, with Derek Willis playing at the five, you know, in, in the end of games. Yes, you know, Tyreek Jones was, was playing really well in the game against Jalgiris at the five position, you know, giving that switching abilities. But, you know, now having Derek Willis opened up a lot of spaces from, for Will, for Shane to attack, you know, and his speed is unmatched. Uh, even for, for great perimeter defenders like John Brown, you know, he just gets in the paint, creates advantage, and then, you know, you're yeah. playing off of that. The dominoes start to fall. So Derek Willis, I thought, was a great move, you know, by Erdem John in the fourth quarter to, to match Monaco's, mm -hmm. you know, to somehow create advantages against Monaco defense that was playing uh, really intense. Yeah, and it's probably it's also part of Erdem John trying to find lineups he mm -hmm. wants to play, and especially lineups, including the frontline decisions and solutions. Since they're still searching for the big man addition, they're still exploring the market of the NBA players who still have hopes to to make it to the NBA. You know, he has to deal with the current lineup that he has, and yeah, that's that was interesting choice. You know, I didn't expect him to to play Derek Willis at such an important center position. Well, edge. in this game, uh, he used all of his centers in the rotation. Uh, as usual, even Tibor Plays got, got yeah, back. Even, yeah, even and and he played good minutes actually. But uh, well, you start with Zizic as, as as usual, and Zizic really struggled to guard uh, Donatas Motiunas. Dimo had some spe spectacular plays. He hit a three pointer. He was driving to the basket to to his left, uh, straight from the three point line. Some post up plays and and actually Zizic, I would say he he lost his battle against Motiunas. Mm. But then you go to other guys, and Tibor Plies, he played short minutes, but he was really effective. Like, he stepped on the court, pick and pop action, three-pointer. Shane Larkin is penetrating, just lobs it to Tibor Plies, a dunk. So he scored seven points in six minutes. And then, of course, when you close the game, and when you're facing a team such as Monaco, you want to have a mobile Five and Zizic or Plies is not the solution. So the uh, decision to to go with Derek Willis, I I think it was smart. You know, just Erdem Jan going with the best possible guys. You know, like Tyreek Jones was playing all the fourth quarter and overtime last last week. Now it's Derek Willis. So I think the coach is just evaluating uh, what's best mm -hmm. for this team. And uh, you know, in the last two games, Santa Zizic, even even Jalgiris had the greatest offensive runs with him playing uh, on court. You know, yeah. Keenan Evans could attack his, whether that's hedge, whether that's drop defense. You know, you could get a lot of uh, Jalgiris and Monaco got a lot of good shots against against Zizic playing at the five. And basically, we're just figuring out that Derek Wildes is a <clears throat> solid Euroleague player because these are two back-to-back -back performances for him, some important shots made. Uh, he's a good three-point shooter. He stretches the floor versus Algris. He also had his first career double-double in EuroLeague. I remember watching him for Joventut Badalona. I thought he's, he's a good player, but you always have those doubts if the player mm. can make that step to EuroLeague. And recently, it seems like FS definitely found the right player for their system. 
uh, which is nice. And, and as you said, they probably are still looking for one more big man, which also makes sense. Even though from the defensive standpoint, uh, in, in my eyes, they need yeah. to upgrade their defense in the front line. You mean like to replace Brian Dunstan? <sighs> Potentially, you know. It's I, I don't know what what was the plan with the Tariq Jones, let's say, but of course they need some defensive anchor uh, anchor defensive player out there to fill some gaps. Anyways, welcome to the Urbonus podcast. I'm the host Nando Surbonas, joined by Ritis Vishnauskas and Augustus uh, Schlauskas. We're going to discuss some Tuesday EuroLeague action of the double week that we're having and we're midway through. Uh, just before, short shout out to Beyond Plus members, our Beyond Plus subscribers that uh, support us on starter, all-star or GM uh, levels. Uh, Jason, give me stats.com, basketball stats, Christos Pokitas, Gabriel Serva, Yunut Gargesco, Nicozinho, T Walt, T21, Ivaras, Hoofman, Victory, Nick BG, Stefan Staminich, and Koki, and all the other almost 300 members that we had. And I mean, we have some great offers. Uh, and actually, the, the next week, we're going to have QA episode, which will be available only for Beyond Plus members. But it's not only about the podcast, we also have breakdowns of Augustus uh, published on our website from time to time. We have a great WhatsApp chat and, and BN Plus members community on WhatsApp chat and also our Discord server. We have some inside information, behind the scenes information in our BN Insider and a lot of other features. And you can get all of that actually for 1.7 euros per month. That's what cup of espresso usually in Lithuania we pay even more for a cup of espresso so that's how cheap it is so once again basketnews.com slash plus and for sure we're gonna go through the Tuesday games uh, but let's start with the hottest news from this weekend and this infamous interview made by Ettore Messina I'll just read the full quote one more time uh at the base of this poor start of the season, there's a critical mistake. We don't have the right driver for our car. Pangos is not the right man to make this team play in a certain way, and I didn't make the right adjustments trying to simplify the game, making him pass more through two big men like Nicola Melli and Johannes Fodman. With a simpler game, we would have fewer turnovers, something that cost us several losses. I admit that I made a mistake. Uh, I sh maybe I should have understood that when Pangos went from being Cleveland Cavaliers backup guard to being out of the rotation in a few months. And he continued with the, another controversial take. Last season with Shabazz Napier uh, fixed the situation during the ongoing season and won the Italian league. But this summer, after Napier said that he wanted to stay, he increased his requests even more. We had already offered him the triple of what he was making. We couldn't do more than that. And now he's sending texts to his friends saying that he would love to come back. So, just for the record, uh, Ettore Messina denied the second part of the interview about Shabazz Napier because it created probably the, the, the biggest noise, basically putting the player under the bus, uh, having him struggling in Bivzvezda at the start of the season, playing for, for the club, which has you know, a huge and very passionate uh, fan base. He broke his nose yesterday? And it seems like in the second minute of the game. And he's so unlucky. Very unlucky. Uh, and uh, But also to clarify the situation, that's how this interview looked. From what I understood, there were two Italian journalists who criticized Messina the most about him 
um, having two roles in the club somebody who, who makes decisions as the president of basketball operations in, in Milan and Messina also uh, playing this head coach uh, role in the team. So Messina decided to invite those two journalists from, from the media outlets in Italy, you know, to explain the whole situation, how it works, uh, how the process looks and that it doesn't, let's say, distract him from making or let's say from being the best head coach uh, for this team. But of course, the idea is nice. First of all, I would I would like to say that usually in in Lithuania, maybe in some other countries, when you're criticized by media, you usually try to you know defend yourself by responding to those remarks in the press conferences or just ignoring those journalists. So, to invite those who criticize you the most and to explain them the whole picture is a nice step. But probably he couldn't believe that this interview might have this outcome. The problem is that one media outlet. Uh, quoted him this part about Shabazz Napier. The other one uh, didn't, and Messina clarified that it was a interpretation, wrong interpretation by the second uh, journalist who put it on on public, and it was not true. And he was never about to comment uh, former players or players from different teams and their situation. But anyway, it still, you know, made huge noise here in Europe. Mike James stepped in, and he was really, he was really honest with some some of his takes, calling Messina dinosaur, uh, not proving that uh, he he can win in, in today's basketball in the Euroleague for putting players under the bus as well. But I would like to hear your reactions. You know what what's what do you find most let's see the the wrong what the most wrong in this whole situation. What was right about the situation from the season? <laughs> there you know, are no you questions. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, um, his comments about Pangos, uh, you can agree or disagree. And probably I, I disagree. And it doesn't stand with me that, that he's uh, going out to criticize his player that he signed and to say things that might actually insult him like he's you're not the right driver Actually. for our car but also i have to say that in europe he's not the first coach to publicly criticize his own players and you're still talking about your player that has a contract with your club so with this i have less issues than with the shabazz napier comments but but even with let, let's stay on pangos i think okay. first you know i mean i think he signed him last summer. He saw that it did not work because he signed Shabazz Napier and Kevin was injured for a lot of time. And in the summer, there were many rumors that Olympia want Kevin Pangos out. But you still, uh, you know, keep him. And after five or six games, you come out saying this, that he is the problem to all of our faults. I mean, the guy is both responsible for basketball operations so signing players which he said in that interview that it's important for me that i have the decisions to to sign players and you know a lot of coaches uh not, not all the coaches have that in europe and he has so he's responsible for for players and he's responsible for coaching them and you know he's basically right now saying that kevin pangos is is the guy that is responsible for all his problems for all his for all milano problems that they have Milano haven't been a, at least an average offensive team in the last three seasons. They have been bottom three uh, last season. They have been bottom three 
two seasons ago and right now even they're in the 13th position with after signing Nikola Mirotic with Siobhan Shields you know in his best shape so just saying this about your player after only six games in the season when you mm. kept him this summer if you didn't if you did not believe in him what you're saying right now that you saw him you know go from uh rotation player to to going out from rotations in the NBA just don't keep him in the summer but don't blame him after six games that he is yeah. responsible for all those problems so I don't know what would this impact will have for uh the players that might want to sign with Milano you know hearing those hearing those these quotes about Pangos about you know Shabazz the writing you know if I'm a player and I'm looking and I'm, I know this story I might want to rethink about signing because you know you never know what when when your coach is going to blame you you know maybe after five games you sign you play bad and oh he is the fault of our all of all our prop all of our problems so and actually you know I think that the impact the damage is already um, you know was felt this off season because they went Absolutely. after Darius Thompson he went to Ephesus. They went after trying to resign Shabazz Napier. He went uh, to Zvezda. They also were in the mix uh, for Kostas Lucas. They couldn't get anybody, so they stayed with Kevin Pangos, the uh, wrong driver for their car, although they already <laughs> knew it, putting him completely out of the rotation. It was like Nick Kaleida's situation in Fenerbahce, really similar to me. Both guys knew their teams don't really want them to stay, but since they don't really find other solutions, they keep them, and it's like, that's a loss-loss situation, I think, for, for both parties. I, I, in my eyes, you know, he, he said so many unnecessary things. Why have to bring up his chapter in Cleveland Cavaliers? You know, why do you want to yeah. look him even worse, saying that, oh, I should have understood understand that before? Yeah, probably you know? Real Madrid should have uh, hesitated uh, for signing Deck because he was out of rotation in Oklahoma. <laughs> And the funny, the funny, and not, not that funny thing is that now they will try to shop Kevin Pangos. So you're saying all these things publicly about the player. You try uh -huh. to shop to save some money, you know, because you don't want to. First of all, you know, instead of blaming the guy, just pay him his contract, or let's say most of his contracts uh, to cover half of two million euro contract that he has in Milan this year, or even instead of you know putting him under the bus give him even more you know just for him to make it easier to sign with any other club instead of you know doing doing this and now you know he's probably not playing until january because in the euroleague according to euroleague rules you cannot switch euroleague teams until december 30 so you know you 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 kept the guy you knew that he's not the right driver for your car then you're going after him you know publicly you kind of put him present for two mon more months and you know it's just for me it, a lot of a lot of unnecessary things a lot uh, of bad decisions and, and we shouldn't shouldn't forget that he was injured for for a long time as well last season he he got hurt he couldn't get in shape he couldn't get in in rhythm so I'm not defending Ethra Messina for sure I'm, I'm I'm defending Pangos in this situation but I'm just saying that at least you're talking about the player that's under contract with mm -hmm. your club. We're going to get to the Shabazz Napier part. And with, with, with Pangos, I still believe he's a great player. I still be believe he's a great point guard. It just happens sometimes that you're not the right fit or you're not under the right circumstances. 
many players went through that uh, yeah. during their careers. Yeah, and, not... and it's fine. It happens. Yeah. It's how you deal with it, both sides, the club, the coach, and the player himself. So after these comments, I, I, I couldn't imagine myself playing for Messina again. And, and like, you can say something like, maybe it was the wrong decision. Maybe we couldn't find the, the right player in the market. But saying wrong driver for our car and all that stuff, you have so many drivers in your team. Like the way you build your roster, it seems like forwards should be driving your team, not guards. <laughs> Remember we One were talking seven about the right? One of those seven guys that play at the four, yeah. and, and <laughs> you, then you, in the end, you have to play the greatest uh, stretch four in the league as a free. So uh, to me, it's just. Uh, probably shows that maybe it's not the best idea to have so much power in 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 one man's hands in 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 a basketball club like he's the president of basketball operations he's also the head coach i'm all for coach having the ability to choose the players that fit his system and all that but messina first of all seems unfireable in in, in that club mm -hmm. what needs to happen for him to be fired if if some other coach was in milan without all that power, without all that status, he probably would be fired last season you know, at some I, point. I'm okay with coaches getting to pick what players they yeah. want in their team. It's simply that in this situation, it's not working. Like mm -hmm. this combination of choosing players and then coaching them, it's not working right now in the yeah. last couple of years for Messina. And, you know, Milano was at their best when they had really great great guards creating everything chacho malcolm delaney kevin punter there that's when they were really good but after that it's not working offensively there with all that talent that they mm. have they're unwatchable like if you have yep. teams you want to see on euroleague tv milano is the last team from the start of last season for me because they're playing just and i and i have sympathy for italian yeah. teams you know and we're so, talking about one of the most talented teams in the Euroleague. You know, yeah, we're talking about budgets. a team with basically unlimited budget. You want a player, you get him. Exactly. That's the way it, it, it has been for Messina. You wanted him, you got him. I mean, yes, as you said, in the summer, some some targets, they, they chose other teams. But in the end, you're still signing. First of all, they're all experienced Euroleague vets. And secondly, these are 1 million, 2 million euro and, range players. And it's unfair to, they always try to highlight that they don't have the unlimited budget, you know, but it's unfair to throw that these statements when you go after Nikola Mirotic, you know, in the off season. It's just about, I would put it this way, you had different priorities of how much you want to pay for this player or that, but but it's not like you don't have uh, you, you don't sign Mirotic on top of everything. You don't sign him because you need him, or or, or, you, or you start want, building. Want, you the want project. to build a team yeah. around him. You sign him on yeah. top of uh, everything. Uh, uh, I I could actually take uh, Brandon Davis' uh, situation as an example. There were no public comments about him. There were no criticism like uh, towards Pangos mm. right now. But not, not we so didn't follow public. Italian media that much, probably. You know, to to maybe have a but, clear picture, but. At some point last season, there was a situation where uh, Messina didn't play Davis in a yearly game. Technical decision. Technical Same decision, Same like right? with Kevin right now. And it you could feel like there's not much chemistry between Davis and Messina. Like Davis wants to play the way he plays where he feels best. And Messina wants him to play under certain strict, uh, let's say, principles. 
and it, in, in the end it didn't work out. And now you see Davis in Valencia. He's the same old Brandon Davis. There's nothing wrong with him. He's still a great player, one of the best centers in the league right now. So maybe mm, the system isn't working. So instead of blaming players, you can start thinking, how can I make these players feel better and play better? Because they were great for some other teams. Pangos was all EuroLeague, right? He was all yeah. EuroLeague and also second EuroLeague team when he played for Jalgiris. Okay, in, in Barcelona, maybe under Pesic, he wasn't that great, but still he was their main point guard. He was okay. Uh, Davis, same example. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And now we see so many players underperforming and, and you're asking the question, why? So maybe it's just that the system isn't working. Mm. And now let's go to Shabash. And now, this, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that's that's where part, yeah. that's where I, exactly. where I have a problem. Whether it was said or not, okay. Now I I cannot. He, he said it. Most likely, yes. Because why would you come up with quotes that? It's why, why it's, would you create quotes? It would be crazy to create quotes because I also did a little research about the journalist who wrote this article and put that quotes of Shabazz Napier. So he's. He he's working in this business for many many years. He is experienced. He's well respected among his uh, colleagues. He's working for big media outlets, and he's also covering some other sports. And you know, yeah, it, it's it's hard to believe that this guy made all that up. What I think, you know, knowing how it works, it's very likely that you know there was this part of Messina giving an interview and saying, okay, this is off the record, but. This, this, and that happened, mm. you know. But you cannot put it on the article. Maybe he didn't emphasize it enough, or maybe the journalist didn't hear it, or I don't know what, what was the problem. Actually, both journalists he could actually step up and say what was the real story because he kind of um, you know damaged the image of of, of the journalism uh, of of your of your job of your wor work uh, how how trusted how trustworthy mm. you are so you know he could go out with the recording or just explain the whole situation he threw napier first he threw up under the bus napier and then the journalist <laughs> And also. I don't so. know if it was <laughs> off the record or, or on the record. Uh, I don't know that, but it it went public. So my response is that first of all, it's disrespectful towards Cervantes uh, Vesna, a club that has mm -hmm. the player with a contract, an important player, and for the player, it's 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 even more disrespectful because. Even if he is texting somebody and he's speaking with some some of his former teammates from Milan, that's his personal stuff. Like, you don't need to bring out gossip. You don't need to start saying like, "Oh, he's texting uh, my guys and saying he felt great in Milan." Fine, he can do that. It's his life. These are personal conversations. And also, well, you should not even make comments as a professional about other clubs business and players that have contracts with other clubs you can talk basketball you can say that with shabazz we were playing great he was doing this and that it's fine but now and especially when it involves the player you actually wanted to keep but you yeah. didn't value him enough in the off season to, to make him stay you know if they matched what zvezda offered you know he was about to stay in milan that's for sure so so that that what it makes him even worse, and it, it it sounds very arrogant and of course irresponsible for for Messina. And you should just respect Zvezda as your rivals in in the league. Like 
making comments about their player and saying that he wants to be back with us because that's he, what he's texting. To, I mean, it's me, so disrespectful. To me, it's even, how do you, let's say, um, why do you even say it off the record? Don't even say it. Don't even to a journalist who are your let's say biggest critics, and you never know how they how they can use this information. Is this the new tactic? If that's the case, of course, we're just speculating a little bit in this case. Yeah, is this the new tactic to retain a player, like saying these things, thinking it might get you know on the radar? Or maybe it's the tactic to get some love from the journalist that criticize you too much. Giving but, him some inside why, why information. Why do you why do you yeah, care about that? Why, why would you I care mean, about that? I mean, it depends on every individual. If it was your me, I don't care about that. And and know. if it's a it's a it's somebody who's won so much in basketball and has been in this job for forty years. What if he's like you know he's affected by the pressure he's getting in Italy? He wants to Im- improve his image. Maybe you know. I don't. Again, think, we're just I don't speculating. Think he really but, cares about that, to um, be honest. But who knows? Um, but it's just it's just unprofessional, you know. Shabazz isn't having the greatest start of the season in Cervena Zvezda, and you are saying these things off the record. If this gets out, and you don't don't know that, you know, when you're saying it, what reaction this creates um, among you know Cervena Zvezda environment? Yeah. He's not playing great. He's not playing up to the standard, and he knows that. And know now you're basically confronting the whole uh, fan group. Of Cervena Zvezda against Napier because he's saying he wants to be back in Milano. To me, that's just you know unprofessional and and you know I'm I'm glad I think I don't know if if Napier, you know and and Cervena Zvezda fans what conditions they are on right now. But I just hope that you know his his play will speak louder than anything else. And you know that unfortunate yeah. accident also happened yesterday. True. True. So. But yeah, I, I still believe he can be a, a leader for Cervantes as a team. Let's just be mm. patient with that, and uh, hopefully, this all this noise will not have too much uh, effect on Impact. him. Uh, I never thought that we would be sitting in these chairs questioning Messina's professionalism. I mean, it's it's mm. one thing that mm. we criticize his team, the way they play, their results, uh, but professionalism. We're talking about the most experienced coach in the league mm-hmm. right now. I'm talking about someone who has experience at so many different levels: EuroLeague, national teams, uh, NBA. And he it's, set the bar, crazy. set the bar so high for everybody, for media, for his players, because he's also very demanding a coach. So you also kind of expect, you know, yeah. that professionalism that he's asking from everybody around. And this whole situation actually reminds me a lot uh, what happened early into the season with Nagas GM Calvin Booth. I don't know if you remember, but the Ringer put a story where he, the Ringer they kind of um, made a picture of the Denver Nuggets uh, team and organization and how it worked, how everything was working, and you know their path to the winning NBA championship. Uh, and Callan Booth threw some remarks about uh, Michael Porter Jr. and there was somebody else involved and it was very honest and a bit controversial quote and it turned out that you know later Callan Booth went public saying that under no circumstances would I make uh, or approve of those kind of comments for public consumption. That's not my character as a person or executive. So he, mm, let's say, confirmed that he shared those... Uh, these thoughts 
uh, off the record with mm. the journalist for him to have a better understanding and a bigger picture of the situation. But of course, it was not for, for the article, not the article material. So potentially this off the record situation, like we mm. have, we deal a lot in, in our business. But in Messina's case, he he actually accused the journalist of, you know, inventing some some stuff and quotes. It's, it's hard to imagine a journalist, an experienced journalist, it, inventing quotes from nowhere. This reminds me actually of another uh, story when Rick Pitino was a coach and, and head of basketball operations uh, for the Boston Celtics. Okay. And he had a player by the name of Chauncey Billups, a young promising guard. Uh-huh. And he just didn't find the correct way how to use him on the court. And in the end, their relationship got bad. And, and Rick Pitino, as he was in charge of everything, he just traded Chauncey Billups. And and we know what Chauncey Billups went on to do later in his career. And uh, Rick Pitino just quite recently actually had an interview admitting that we should have taken our lumps and stayed with Chauncey and instead of trading him. And Chauncey Billups once said that he was so glad to leave uh, Pitino because uh, that that whole environment was unbearable for him. So that's another example where from the NBA where a coach had all the power and mm. it didn't really work out. And it's nothing wrong about that. I mean, bad situations, bad fit happen and you just have to deal with your own mistakes. We all do mistakes and we improve from that. It's just unnecessary to put those players, those uh, who are affected under the bus. It's not necessary to get them prisoned basically mm. in your team. You just, you know, you pay for your mistake. You let the player go somewhere else, you know, to, to make him feel good, you know, and you don't need to, to have this crazy hostage situation uh, like they have with Pangos right now. So, I, I mean, it's just, I think that when we're talking about these big budget clubs in, in EuroLeague, we have like at least six of those that we consider title challengers let's say i think in these clubs as a coach you should feel some pressure that if you're losing too many games if your team is playing poorly you might be fired and it seems like messina doesn't have that pressure in milan and and i don't know why they have the ownership and everything Mm. and they just in such a great relationship. There's so much respect between them that the coach basically he can only quit on his own terms. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he admitted that he went to meet the owners and they just endorsed him to to continue the job, you know, to fix the situation. So I don't know. I don't think there are too many excuses to be two six in Euroleague right now with that roster. Injuries. Yeah, injuries okay, man. But but you constructed uh, the team with seventeen forwards and three guards, so that's kind of also on you. Miritich is not injured. Shields is not injured. Yeah, but imagine they don't sign Miritich, but they signed a guard for the same amount of money. I have a, a question too. We 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 talked about this when in in August in, in no not in August but in September before the Euroleague season. We said that there is not enough balance in this team. And this team is one injury away of su- suffering mm. bad. Two of six. I think the, they the, should. The injury started before the, the round one, even. They so. should sign John Wall and blame everything on him. <laughs> That's it. I, th- I think we are done with this segment. <laughs> um, let's say this interview didn't happen. Let's say this is the preseason. Would you trade 
I don't know how it would work, how it look like, but instead of would you would you make a trade Shabazz Napier to Milan and Nikola Mirotic to Zvezda? Of in course. terms of making it more sense and you know helping the team off just to work. Without a doubt. Easy. Make it right now. If Why I, do you need if with I'm Shabazz? Zvezda, I'm, I'm I'm taking it for sure. If Milano mm. you're not taking, you have Nicola Melli that's playing I don't know, that's taking three shots in 25 minutes during it's the true, game. It's true. Now, yeah. if, I, if I'm Milan, I, I would want a bit more than just Shabazz for the value of, of Nikola mm -hmm. Nuritic. Probably I would want more. But if I'm Zvezda, <laughs> that's that's an easy, easy choice. It's, it's, it's like, not because Shabazz is a bad player, but you you do have Dos Santos, Teodosic, yeah. Nedovic. And Teo actually is balling right now. He looks better than last year. Yago so, is also balling. So, so with Miritic, you have so many options offensively, and and you can play him at his position. So definitely, it makes more sense. With Shabazz, they were winning all games. Their lineups looked incredible. Meli Voitman was the best lineup I think in the Euroleague when they played. It was scoring thirty points more. Uh, one the Italian the championship as well. Won the Italian championship. It was just basically unstoppable, that lineup. And you sign Mirotic on top of that. You you don't really need it, him that mm -hmm. much. Like Nicola yeah. Melli gives you so many things on offense. He can compensate for what for 80% yeah. of, of what Mirotic gives you, you know, in the offense. It, he, he doesn't give you, you know, the one-on-one -on -one solution that Mirotic gives. But if you can have that from Shabazz... Mm. It's like for to me, it's a no brainer. Like they they needed a yeah. guard this off season, and they signed a power forward who's now playing at the three. But I also understand that it's so tempting when you're in a position where you can actually sign arguably arguably the best player in 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 Europe right now. It's really tempting. It's it's kind of like Paris Saint Germain can sign Lionel Messi, even though it's not a good fit. It's not what they need, but how they, did it work? But they, it didn't. That's that's <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. Like, but you're so tempted by the idea of having him with your club's shirt, mm. jersey. So I can understand that, but also you need some common sense, probably. And Miritic, if, if it wasn't for Milan, who knows where 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 he would have landed. The, the market was almost closed. There weren't too many options, probably. There weren't too many clubs that could afford him. And there's the thing, you know, all the main Milan stargas, they went somewhere else as well. They just went for the best player uh, available on the market. And maybe they were also affected by this, you know, kind of negative offseason, I would yeah. say. You know, you, you can feel desperate when you're Milan. You have mm. all the power in the market. You have a lot of money and nobody signing with you. And you have this opportunity to, to get Miratic, as a something like a reward and and somebody which yeah. calms you down a little bit about your off season. And you know where the biggest irony is is that at the end of the day you have Mike James uh, with all his Twitter takes. <laughs> I agree with all of them actually. Publicly uh, making fun of Ettor Messina, where uh, four years ago Ettor Messina came in and. He just said, it's going to be about the team. I don't need any individuals. And he just right. cut Mike mm -hmm. James off the team. Would Mike James be the right driver to the car? I think he drives the car pretty well. Pretty well. <laughs> I think he's a pretty good driver. And now you're just 
criticizing the point guards you have chosen yourself. So, so just imagine how Mike felt when he hit that dagger in Milano just a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. How sweet that must have been. <laughs> it didn't this seem is... like he cared too much about that, but I don't inside, think... I. I, I think he's smiling right now. I would be feeling great. I would be feeling great. And it's not yeah. only Mike James, yeah. I mean, Brandon Davis is one of the fresh examples. Uh, being successful somewhere else, probably Kevin Pangos will be uh, successful. Mm. So that that's the biggest problem with Milan for me. They're kind of quick to misjudge players mm. and they make it also in, in a bad way. They're putting them out of the rotation. Yeah. They make them really unhappy with, with their situation, with they lose joy in basketball. Uh, I, I just randomly and accidentally uh, found an interview of Aaron White when he left Milan in 2019, I think, and, and he was there only for a couple of months and he was so mad about the whole situation, how it, it, it played out. And he already said that, you know, there was no... There was the whole situation in Milan was so unclear with the game they they played with the situation. Nobody knew what to do. Uh, he didn't feel any joy in playing basketball, and he felt that somebody else felt the same way. So you know, it's going season after the season, and you know, mm. that's the issue with Milan. Yeah, I I look at their roster right now. I don't see any bad players. I don't see a bad player on that roster. All of them in different teams and different systems would be great. We just see too many good players going to Milan and becoming, you know, miserable, becoming ghosts of themselves. Like last year, Deshaun Thomas, after a great year in Bayern Munich, he yeah. was not playing at all. A lot of people probably already forgot about Deshaun Thomas. Kevin Pangos, Brandon Davis. Uh, Devon Johannes Hall, Falkman. I honestly think Devon Hall is a high-level shooting guard. He could be successful for many teams in Euroleague. Although I would say he was discovered by Messina because he got a lot of confidence yeah, and, and trust in the from first Messina. Year, it but was okay. the last year, and even this season so far, it, it felt like like at some point he kind of you know was out of the rotation. And from what I heard, he the one hole was already offered to some teams this year in the Euroleague. So this is the the part that I don't like, and maybe that's the issue with having those two positions, you know, mm. the president of basketball operations and the and the head coach. But he won you're the EuroLeague when Kyle Hines was in college. On, yeah. You're acting too much <laughs> based on emotions. And I'm not wishing anybody to get fired, to be honest, because it's not only about, let's say, Messina. It's all about the, it's also about the assistant coaches that work for, for, for Messina. And, you know, they're not getting paid millions. And for them mm. to move places, to switch places with their families and stuff like that. So I never wish, you know, anybody to, to, to get fired. We that, don't, don't want make coaches me wrong, to yeah. be fired, but we, at the same time, we don't want players to be in a position that Kevin Pangos is right now. Yeah, exactly. And just too many players went through that. And, and it's not fair. Uh, one last trade I have. Uh, which uh, involves and includes Milan. Let's say this interview didn't happen. And there's the trade offer, Kevin Pangos for Shabazz Napier. Given the fact that Shabazz, let's say he was struggling, in particular mm. in the four quarters, Kevin Pangos was not the right driver for Milan. What about switching those two players? I don't know if I'm Svesda, I'm sticking with Shabazz. I, I, I give him more time. I, I'm not in danger, as we said, Iago Dos Santos for Spheropoulos has been great so far. Teodosic is producing uh, numbers and actually playing like a, like a leader on that team. And Nedovic is back after injury. I'm not in panic mode. I wouldn't change that. I still believe that Shabazz Napier maybe has a higher ceiling than Kevin Pangos does. 
definitely Shabazz is, is more capable of playing in ISO situations, one-on-one, creating his own shots. Pangos is a great pick-and-roll guard, but um, no, I'm not making that trade. Okay, so what if I give if you I'm one Milan, of the yeah. seven big men? Sorry? What if I also add one of the seven power forwards or I centers? I think that Zvezda has enough. a lot yeah. of big guys, like, it's probably I, second I, I, the I most don't know if, 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 if the they need a Johannes Voigtman on that team. I'm mm. not sure about that. Okay. You still have Mike Toby, who's basically your third option. I don't know center. how to improve that offer, to be honest. What, cash what? considerations, man. Cash is always <laughs> draft, good. Draft picks and cash, cash considerations. <laughs> what do you think, Augustus? Swap Napier for Pangos? Mm. No. If you're Zvezda? No. Why? You said it. Yeah. You said everything. Yeah, okay. I agree with you. Although I would swap Mirotic uh, for Napier, or let's say the situation where I can sign Napier instead of Mirotic in the off season. Mm -hmm. Just getting Mirotic also would rub it. You could rub it into partisans' uh, <laughs> fans' faces. Like you almost got, had him, but now we we got him. And and actually, <laughs> we don't have anything bad to say about Mirotic. He's having a great season. Twenty points, I mean, eight Mirotic rebounds. Is Mir the even most on a losing team, yeah. even on a losing yeah. team, he's Mister Consistency. <sighs> Mister Consistent lo on losing. <laughs> just kidding. Just no, kidding. I'm let's talking about his individual. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, You're too harsh, man. Just a joke. Just That's a joke. Pretty good joke. Yeah. Uh, but let's make Kevin Pangos happy. Let's find the best yearly destination for Kevin Pangos to get playing time, to feel happy, you know, to play a bigger role and to be efficient uh, for his new team, to help that team win. I think, uh, well, Basconia signed Chris Chioza, but it, it might not be enough. Like, n we don't know the Nico Mannion situation. He, he's, he's injured, he's not playing. When he was playing, you had some doubts, uh, so maybe Kevin Pangos. Okay, they all already have undersized guards, but uh, it's clear that even if Dusko Ivanovic would like to have his team um, with more defensive mentality, you're not going to reshape the roster in a way that Basconi all of a sudden will become a defensive juggernaut. So Kevin Pangos to run the offense, I think, could be a good fit. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think... You know, as well need a point guard, but uh, I think Pangos fit in Basconia. Just giving them another shooter with with Sedekereskis, with Chima on the court, uh, having a guy who could who could knock down a three pointer, who can create uh, at the one spot. You know, they've been lacking that, and uh, to start the season, that could unlock their offense even more. Make it a little bit more easier for the other guys. Make it a little bit more easier for Marcus Howard at the end of the day, you know. He's been getting so much attention there and, and that's why he's not playing. He's not being that efficient because he's just having to face two, three guys uh, all of the time. So I think Basconia would be a great fit. I was thinking maybe Partizan, Jalgiris. But I think Basconia would make the most sense here. Schalger is maybe... They oh, need a different type of player. Maybe only be because of uh, the nostalgic feeling that yeah. Kevin Pangos could, could bring, but... They need a different general, type of player, yeah, they definitely sure. need somebody else. Uh, partisan, maybe? Yeah, perhaps. I, I actually went through teams that are on the market. For instance, Olympiacos. They're looking for, for maybe guard, score, addition. Barcelona, they, also, they always have money. Or let's say they have money for any kind of improvement throughout the season. Uh, Partizan, 
yeah, uh, they were thinking about guards. And I think that it would make sense because I also put them in my shortlist of teams. I actually put Jargris as well. Not going too deep if that's the right player, the right driver for Jargris team. But I heard, uh, first of all, I heard that uh, Jargris actually asked about Kevin Pangu's situation in Milan. And probably they they weren't very you know happy to hear th- his contract. And now, given what Messina said about Pangos uh, on on that interview, I don't see Pangos taking mm. any discounts on his services in this uh, current situation. So for Jargiris, you know, you have to expect Milan to cover a huge part of his contract, and it's up to two million. So that's huge. Valencia was actually, uh, during the off-season, just before the start of the Euroleague season, I heard that Valencia was one of the potential landing destinations for Kevin Pangos. Just not sure about this idea right now. They are successful. And why to, you know, ruin that thing, you know? Why why, why you need to do something different about a successful team that is already... So, I don't know. Nah, they have Stefan Jovic as a really oh, yeah. solid backup point guard. They have Jared Harper... Barcelona also, I think they're fine with their guards. Uh, La Provitola. And if they need a guard, they need a scorer, I would say, the wingman, not not a point guard. If they <laughs> even need a guard. And with yeah, Jal- yeah, exactly. Jalgiris, Jalgiris has the right driver for their car. Yeah. They need they some need more passengers to keep him company. <laughs> well, yeah. Like the driver is super solid the thing what i which i heard about jargis was that uh, okay we obviously see that lucas lakavich is, is not the type of player which who because he's maxvitas prefers and likes and knows how to utilize because uh, he's maxvitas just recently mentioned that he expected shabazz napier if nazmitra long for some reason i confused them with these two guys so much uh he expected nazmitra long to be more of a point guard shooting guard than a shooting guard point guard so you know and from what i also heard from the behind the scenes he's a bit concerned about the point guard position and let's say he brings kevin pangos and keeps keenan evans as a combo guard as somebody from a scorer's uh, position and the profile would you see sense would you think it could be a right thing if it's to I have would... pangos as a point guard keenan evans as your scorer shooting guard and then what? You dump the other contracts somewhere, like, or, or you're staying with all the guys on the roster, the guards, like. And he also trusts Thomas Dimsha so much. Uh. He's trusting David Desgedraitis this season much more than, than than last year. I'm not. I don't know. I would love to see Nas Mitrulong getting more opportunities, actually. Yeah. And and the comment about him being uh, a, a one two rather uh. than a two to one is. It's strange to me. Like you're signing an experienced player, you should know who he is. I just think it was somehow, you know, misinterpreted by the coach and the media. I think it it got just lost, you know, in in the world somewhere. In, in not in translation, because he, it, he, it was yeah, maybe not he wanted to express himself in a different way. Yeah, just put the bad just, wording. Exactly. Like I, I wouldn't make that big of a deal of that situation. Like saying Nazmich mm. Long is one more than two is just mm. you know i'm not making a big deal i'm just saying but i would like to see him getting yeah. more opportunities and and we talked about this before the podcast yeah. you know naz is a player who needs confidence who was the best when he has the green light he doesn't have that in jaligris like you know he he's not been playing great he he has lost a little bit of confidence he's not 
even when he's shooting a three pointer, he's not doing that in full motion. You know, you could see the little just hesitation. And in because his as moves. a scorer, when you're in a position yeah. where you're not sure when your next shot is gonna come from, then so. you, you you don't have that much confidence. That that's true. So you know, I don't know, Pango sevens. It it could be interesting, but uh, I would probably. I know the situation in the market is really tough. Yeah, but I would still yeah. probably go with a different type of player. Yeah, if I'm Dragic, I'm sticking to the plan. I'm I'm looking for somebody who can play uh, as as a shooting guard and a small forward, cover those positions. Uh, I'm not gonna be tempted by the idea of bringing back one of our old players who brought us so much success. And yeah. it's always, I think, better to have a taller uh, guy who can score. You know, if I'm taking Pangos or or I have the opportunity to take a mm. two free big body who can score a little bit yeah. I'm, I'm taking that over pangos because i already had keenan evans if somebody asks me if 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 i would accept dralgiris signing corey higgins immediately i would say yes that's that's different uh another point guard as good as he is i don't know i don't think that's that's what they need yeah yeah it probably depends on how much he's coach is dissatisfied yeah. with the point guard position and playmaking and from it's like not confirmed rumor but i've heard that you know kazis maxfitas prefers somebody with the euroleague experience he doesn't want to take those risks with the borderline nba players without the euroleague experience and that makes sense and you know since the market is thin if the team starts losing sometimes you start doing some aggressive moves sometimes it's irrational sometimes it, it works out so you never know, but again, in this situation, it sounds like an expensive move. Exactly, money time. money should be an issue in this situation. Yeah. Anyways, enough of Milan and Kevin Pangos. Although, of course, if we if we about to wrap up about Milan, those losses against Cafati, especially against a team which actually shout out to Yannis Strelnix and David Logan. Logan is still bowling at forty. Alessandro Gentile is still they playing love for, him in Italy. For, for Scafati. I mean, that that was, again, it, that was an upset. Oh. And then they're losing to Who else was Bologna. on that team? Denis Marconato? <laughs> Roberto Galando? Roberto Kacic? Vazile? I was about to say Gianluca Vazile making some freeze. Massimo Matteo Sarania. <laughs> Yeah, Italian guys who listen, we still remember. Marcus Gori dominating. We still remember. Benjamin Eze? No? Uh, Sean Stonebrook. <laughs> <laughs> um, any any thoughts about Virtus and, and Milan? No. <laughs> 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 there were six games of Euroleague. How am I supposed to watch all of them in like uh, eight hours? At least, judging from the score, it was better than last year. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, last year it was under 60s probably. Something in the 50s. Now we had this great performance by Ife Lundberg, Abuda Abbas as well. Lundberg scored 19, Abuda Abbas 14, and Lundberg was scoreless in the last three yearly games, while Abuda Abbas didn't score a single point in the entire season. So why are you laughing? <laughs> I can give you texts about Gidimino Sorelikas, why you're not asking about that one. <laughs> Come on now. We're talking about one of the best teams in the league right now. Who? Bologna. We already talked about yeah. them, I don't know, two hours. Okay. Okay, so. if you want to hear the extended analysis of Virtus Success, just uh, click on our previous uh, podcast that we did last week. Uh, from all the other games, you know, who did impress you the most? What takes do you have from, from, from the rest of the games that we had on Tuesday? 
I enjoyed Valencia Real Madrid from the point of physicality. Like uh, when we uh, tried to say why Euroleague regular season is better than the NBA, why is it more interesting? We so often we emphasize the the physicality, and I think Valencia and Real Madrid was as as physical as it gets. I mean. The size uh, for both teams, uh, for positions uh, two to five, the way the guys were actually fighting in the fighting in the paint, uh, Tavares effect in the third quarter. Um, he didn't finish the game with spectacular numbers, but in the third quarter, he was the 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 one who adjusted Valencia's offense. He blocked three or four shots. Some of the shots he forced them to 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 take really uncomfortable angles, and. Uh, that was the true Eddie Tavares, the defensive player of the year version. Uh, and in the first half, maybe it, it felt like the more Spanish game, like a lot of uh, fast breaks, running and gunning, um, a lot of three pointers. In the second half, it got uh, it got nasty, more defensive type of game. Uh, also, so many matchups that I, I loved following in that game, like Ingles, Ingles versus uh, Yabusele, two French guys. And Damian Ingles definitely had some good plays. Brandon Davis, uh, 20 points in the first half. In the first half, he seemed like Dirk Nowitzki combined with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He started <laughs> with the pick-and-pop actions, and, and he made the first shots. He felt good about himself. Then he started making some mid-range shots, a sky hook. Uh, not only versus Tavares, also versus Poirier. But in the second half, things went in a different direction. Uh, so that was just, in general, a, a really good game. Like, for someone who who's not yet into EuroLeague, to watch that game, to mm. feel what it's all about, uh, that, that would be awesome. Also because of all the plays, uh, the, the clutch plays, like Hezonia, a couple of shots in the fourth quarter, tough shots. Chris Jones on one side, Faku Campasso on the other side. Just a good game of basketball, I have to say. And Real Madrid is still undefeated. Still undefeated. We are yeah. in November 15th, and Real Madrid hasn't lost a game in ACB or EuroLeague this season. Yeah. They're 16-0. and zero. And just as we expected before the season, they, they really look unde unde undefeated. I mean, they look. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm unbeatable. But before this game, I actually had a, a feeling like Valencia is going to be the team at home that could do it, and they they were in a position to do so. I mean, right? It, it was a really tough game for Hezonia hit that shot, two shots actually. Well, that fadeaway shot was was tough, 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 tough. But even before that, no, there, was a, pointer, there was a shot pointer, contested Mr. by Sammy Ojeda. Donatas, the referee, said My it was God. okay. <laughs> This podcast is but, such a Mario Hazonia's uh, haters club that I cannot even. It, it has nothing to do with what with, it has to do with, with Mario Hazonia. Great shot, I just said. It's a three pointer, it, it clear just, three pointer, clear three pointer. Okay, yeah. for some reason, for you, it's not clear. But anyways, yeah. Okay. Your takes? Let's not invent any rules. Uh, my takes: uh, Olympiakos Maccabi was interesting one because Luke Sigma got back, and at some point, great, great minutes. I was feeling that Luke Sigma was having Sasha Vezenkov night of scoring a lot of points on zero dribbles. He had a great stretch when he entered the court in the end of the first quarter, I think. He scored eight points in four minutes. I mean, just watching him distributing from the point forward position, 
scoring those points and getting himself open, it really reminded me. And in before watching Alec Peters making, you know, all all kinds of shots, and it it felt like I'm watching Sasha Vizenkov just making himself split in two players and doing all these great things. And it was great to watch Luke Sigma successful on the court again. But then, you know, he was not playing the entire third quarter. Uh, Sigma got back uh, into the lineup only at the beginning of the fourth quarter. He obviously lost his rhythm and he couldn't recover. And then he was benched. So I've, for me, it was a bit weird from one point of view, but, you know, it's Yorgos Bartzokos and his rotation. So, you know, that's probably the adjustment that Luke Sigma also will have to do. You know, as somebody who used to play in Alba, you know, a lot of minutes and, of course, closing the games as well. Has Bartzokos ever explained his rotations, why he does that? I think so. Somebody, of course, should have asked him about it. And I like, is there I, an interview in English? I mean, about this because probably you know there should be something. Media. I just don't remember okay. remember the exact arguments mm. behind it, but for sure, he, would, maybe would, he wants to. I would to, love to read it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. just you know, asking has he given an answer to this? Um, yeah, my impressions from that game. I don't know. First one was. Def Texas and Olympiacos getting a backdoor cut when Alec Peters sets the screen for Costas Papanicolaou. I mean, in every game they catch their opponents at least once. Thomas Walker with the perfect pass, two easy points. My second impression was their passing. I mean, I watch a lot of their games because I enjoy watching them as opposed to Olympia Milano. And even though they can't score without, you know, a lot of they don't score a lot from ISO plays, but I just love their passing. And I remember when I think Steve Kerr uh, started coaching the Warriors and a lot of players were saying, we are practicing passing way more than in any other NBA team. And I would like, I would love to know if Olympiacos are also practicing their passing or is it just their chemistry that's that, that affects it? Because they really are on point with some of passes like off the, off the ground, with some bullet passes. I just love the way they share the ball sometimes. And it's not enough uh, always, you know, in the second half, they just have this problem of go of going on scoring droughts for too long. And that's what allowed Maccabi to get into this game. And uh, this this is a problem of Olympiacos. This is, this is nothing new, but uh, this is why they're not blowing teams anymore like they did last season. You know, how many times we saw they get things done in three quarters. They are plus 15, plus 20, and Sasha Vizenkov is not even playing in the last five or seven minutes in the game. And this season, even if they're winning, but that's a rare sign by a lot of points, they still struggle because they could go at any time, they can go on a three, four minute run without without scoring. So that's really their problem. And I'm still not sure what Brezdeki's role is in this team because he's playing, you know, handoffs, passing more. And, and when he, you know, he's a player that needs the ball in his hands, playing one-on-one. -on -one. He doesn't have many of those opportunities. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this goes on, how they maybe they give Brzezdekis more room to operate in, in the future. But a lot of guys are coming back. Maybe Olympiacos will be healthy soon and we can really see the full picture. Because without Milutinov, foul plays 35 minutes. Yeah. Right. It's a double game week, so he's probably going to play uh, 70 minutes of basketball hmm. in 48 hours that's a lot a lot of minutes yeah and you know for Maccabi it was also not easy 
task, you know, to uh, to protect the pain, having fall for fall for thirty five minutes and getting so many post up situations, and I think that they pre- did pretty well job, and also stayed in the game. So and especially playing without Wade Baldwin, uh, of course, it was not an easy task for them. Tamir it's, Blatt was absolutely amazing. I thought in uh, stepping up in his place. Uh, against that passive drop defense of Mustafa Fall, I don't know how many mid-range jumpers he made. But he was he was absolutely phenomenal. I thought yesterday on offense. Yeah, and just last two things, you know, these games in Belgrade remind me of those COVID years, yeah. really, and how much they miss Menor Miftahim. I mean, at home they were unbeatable, basically. How many games mm. they lost last year? Maybe two. two. I think two. Yeah, and now they're. I think they already lost two home games or, or, or whatever. So it's just it's just pity, you know, for Maccabi to lose this fan base and to be in this situation. It's just, it's just horrible. And the other moment, since, you know, we don't have any fans, it's very easy to hear everything what's being said and discussed on mm-hmm. the court. Uh, of course, we always had this privilege to hear most of the timeouts that we have. I just, you know, yesterday there were these two moments where I was like, how much I love Yorgos Bartsokas communicating during the timeouts. He manages to break down the situation so simple and so perfect. First of all, playing that mental uh, role, you know, philosophical role uh, sometimes, calming the guys down, and then also giving assignments on the court and the way he communicates his body language. It's just, it, it should be put as an example for, for some of the head coaches. And then I'm, I'm watching the first half of Zvezda and the uh, Fenerbahce game, Sforopoulos is drawing some play. And, you know, what a privilege to have such player like Milos Teodosic on your team. I mean, he just listens and he sees that there's an opportunity to offer some better idea. And he just asks, can we play zipper pick and, pick and roll? Because they're hedging, so pass, short roll with Luka Mitrovic. Uh, and just Sferopoulos just, you know, asks, do you want to play shelf or, or whatever, you know, he says, whatever, just this, you know, zipper pick and roll action. And the next play, the next possession, you see Jago de Santos playing high pick and roll, Mitrovic makes short roll, passes to the corner, Mike Tobias is, is open. He missed the shot, you know, but everybody in the court, uh, the coach from the baseline, from the sidelines, they're clapping, you know, because it was a great play. So these were my two highlights mm. of, of, of these timeouts. That, that was that was a great timeout, but not like Fenerbahce was playing really good defense there. I mean, exposing that hedge is yeah, is really not in. I know it was a bad not, night not for Fenerbahce in general. If you remember how how they made all those shots in the first half mm-hmm. against Partizan they compared were to this game, I mean, they were missing. Most the difference of was the, huge. It's not Zvezda played. I thought great physical defense in the first half, uh, but also Fener was missing some wide open shots that they got. And but their main problem was defensively. First of all, transition defense after those long misses, those three pointers that they didn't make. Uh, Zvezda scored a lot in transition, and then not basically not understanding what to do with the Spain pick and roll of Tervena Zvezda. They just ran that Spain pick and roll all over oh, again and again and again, five or six or seven times, and they they got scores. They got good looks uh, on those Spain pick and roll tries. I mean. And last but not least, Iago Dos Santos. You know, Shabazz Napier gets hit in the nose. He gets to step in early. And why was Dusko Ivanovic uh, still keeping him on the bench? I'm not sure. But uh, he's been playing amazingly since Spiropoulos, uh, you know, took over the team. 
His confidence is amazing. He's playing better every game, making free pointers, uh, making the right passes, even, you know, in transition, just waiting, waiting, waiting for that moment when mm -hmm. the, the defense opens up, goes to the corners, and there is a wide, go wide open guy uh, under the basket. So just love, just love to see... Just love to see him getting this great opportunity, bigger role, and I'm excited he is delivering. Yeah, Teo also had a great game. Uh, anyways, another thing I actually wanted to hear your, your opinion. Uh, Kendrick Nunn made his EuroLeague debut, and it was a huge in-season signing made by Panathinaikos. Uh, six points in eight minutes. He was out of five from three. Uh, in the following Greek League game, he played nine minutes. He went scoreless. Once again, one of five, uh, one of five. 0 from 5 from the field, uh, but it's it's not about these two games unless you 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 watch his first game against Alba. But what do you? I am not sure if I heard your opinion about Kendrick Nunn and his fit in the Euroleague, and then of course in Panathinaikos. Do do you believe it might be a good fit? I don't know. I don't know what Kendrick Nunn we're getting. Like the man had serious injuries and didn't play a lot of basketball in the last few years. So I don't know. Uh, he's still pretty young. He's probably capable. Uh, he will need some time for sure. We cannot expect him to become a EuroLeague star in in few weeks. But it seems like he's gonna get a big role on that team. Uh, probably we had same questions about Jabari Parker. He's not a point guard. He he's a forward, but he is getting better. And at 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 the moment, you could say that. He's playing as one of the top forwards in the league. In the last few weeks, we saw him uh, making big shots, making big plays, and probably I'm, I'm I'm pretty close to saying that all the skepticism towards that signing was wrong, and, and Jabari Parker is the right player for Barcelona. So again, with Kendrick Nunn, probably these are the same questions. We will get the answers in a couple of months, I, I, I think. Uh, well... They're paying him a lot of money. Uh, he's going to be on a big payroll as as, as a star player. Yeah, the, he has to be a difference maker. In the context of EuroLeague. So you're not going to settle for six points, two assists per game. You're going to expect a lot more from him. Is he capable? Again, I am not sure. I mean, if everything was right, the guy wouldn't be in, in, in Europe. Uh, the way he played his first two seasons in the NBA for Miami Heat, it seemed like he's going to be a $20 million contract player per year. Tyler Johnson. Uh, but type of then vibes. he signed with the Lakers. Uh, he got hurt in 2022-23 season. He played some minutes, but he was just uh, a role player off the bench for the Lakers, for the, for the Washington Wizards. So... I don't really know what to say. Does he have the skills? For sure. Uh, Left-handed guard, a good scorer. He can create his own shot. And he has all that. And I, I listened to your podcast with Eric McCollum and, and Kendrick Perry. And they said all the right things. But they were talking about Kendrick Nunn the way he's supposed to be. Is he that Kendrick Nunn right now after what happened in the last few years? Nobody knows. It's up to him to, to to prove that. I just searched for for information, you know, and looked at some Laker games from last season. 
the guys that are covering Lakers on every game were basically saying that, you know, he could not have played worse. He hasn't played worse in his career in the NBA than he did last year. So I think that has a lot of a lot to do with uh, why he's now here in Europe. But in the first couple of games, you know, I like his ag aggressiveness. He's taking a lot of shots. Uh, he's confident about but, himself. And but you cannot say that these were bad shots, to be honest. These were quite okay shots, I would say. Yeah, they are early shots. Let's say in Europe, not everybody is taking those early shots. You know, a lot of guys maybe mm. instead of going for that mid-range are trying to get a better opportunity. But if if this is NBA, this is a normal great great shot. So he's taking those. I like that he's being aggressive. You know that that wasn't a complaint about his first couple of games. Uh, he just needs to get his legs under him, and you know he knows how to play basketball. In the NBA, his let's say career was going a little bit down, but I still he can be good in Europe, and. It's just, I think it's a question of Ergin Ataman mm. figuring out how to work those lineups with him, Lucas Vildoza, Grigonis, Duran Grant. How do you mix mm. all these guards together? What's the, be what's the best solution, you know? Uh, do you keep Lucas and Nunn together, two left-handed ball handlers, basically? So, mm. Nunn can uh, shoot, Nunn can make the floater, uh, he can score, it's just... We have to see more of him to understand really in what condition or shape he's in right now. But at Nikos, I think he has a long history of signing NBA guards that were kind of good or at least were uh, high draft picks. I'm talking. I remember. I'm, Tony Delk. I'm talking Tony Delk. Yeah. I'm talking Marcus Banks. I'm talking oh, yeah. Jason Capono. I'm talking Jimmer Fredette. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Some examples and some some work out better mm. than the others you said guards right only guards i mean capone okay, was yeah. not a yeah. guard he's a shooter but still yeah, uh, yeah, yeah no just if, i mean if you look at his wesley profile, johnson but wesley he's johnson winged also, more uh, at, at one at some point in his career he was considered a really solid nba player so uh they tend to gamble on these these mm. players to sign them but sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't and, and sometimes you you never know what you're gonna get and actually, it's funny that I mentioned Jabari Parker. I'm now looking at Kendrick Nunn's um, Wikipedia page, and it says that Kendrick Nunn, alongside Jabari Parker, played in 2012 FIBA, FIBA Under-17 Under World Championship in Kona. Right. Wow. <laughs> yep. So I now, remember, now I we remember have, watching that. Now we have these two guys balling in Europe. I remember watching wow. that because the, these two guys are actually yeah. um, the same in my, my age. So I was watching that championship, and I remember... Jabari, there was Jalil Okafor on that team, mm -hmm. Kendrick Nunn, Tyus yeah. Jones as well on that team, and it was uh, Connor Frankamp there as well. A lot of really guys there, and, and in that championship, you know, Ben Simmons was there also, yeah. Dante, Dante Exum, mm -hmm. Mario, no. Hezonia um, was there also, I think. No, Hezonia is 90... Dario Saric. Dario Saric was 94, Hezonia 95, I think. Mm. Wait. I think Saric <laughs> was there. But, uh, Sharij is uh, a year older. For some reason, I remember. He's 94. Hezoni is 95, and he was the best prospect in Europe mm. at the time. So it was one of the most, I think, stacked world championships under nice. 17. So many good players on that USA team. Anyway, I'm forgetting someone as well. Uh, I have to ask, like, since I mentioned Jabari Parker, and he's been good so far. He's been healthy. That's also important. And he's playing in EuroLeague and in ACB as well. So... Mm. There's no load management or anything like that. 
do you think that for for these NBA players, uh, it's it's easier to make adjustments in in Europe for uh, let's say a forward, someone who's a three and a four, rather than a guard? Because when you're a guard, you're you're stepping in the role to basically run the team, and it's kind of different. Do you think it's it's mm. easier or or not, or is just one example? I think it's a little bit easier for the forward. Just he, I think point guard has to control a little more things, a little more yeah. details. So point uh, so forward can just you know be in his spots, understand where he needs to be, understand where he needs to cut. He doesn't need to control you know, the game or where the ball mm -hmm. goes. He just needs to uh, understand what to do in a closeout situation or just play one-on-one -on -one when given the opportunity and don't get lost on the defensive end, basically. So mm. I think less tasks for the forward yeah. makes it a little bit easier for, right. for the big guys, but... Sounds about right. But also Jabari Parker has a mind of a point guard. I mean, he's he, he he's a smart basketball player. Get mm. great from the from from post up situations. Uh, he's more of a scorer, let's say. He he takes a lot of mid range shots and all that, but he reads the game very well. That's also nice to see. I really thought you were going with this. Do you think it's easier for a European guy uh, to uh, adjust in the NBA or for an NBA to adjust in Europe? I mean, and it was it would have been a smooth. Uh, uh, transition, transition to, to the last pod topic. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> okay, we can still do that, but it, it, it's also a good question. It, but it's a different, it's hard to say. different uh, environment. Like in the NBA, there are so many circumstances that mm -hmm. sometimes decide uh, if you're going to be successful or not. Whether you're on the right team what other players are in your position, how much trust will they have in you? Are you coming into the NBA as a rookie drafted, a high draft pick that will definitely get more time and, and the team will work with you? Or are you signing your rookie contract uh, as a 30-year-old or 29-year-old European player? Is the team so, bringing you just because they need some signed guys yeah, for salary or are you actually, they want you? Everything's so different. Like, are you signing with a team that's uh, maybe in tank mode? They're trying right. to build the roster. They're trying to get some high draft picks so they will get give everybody some minutes. Or are you signing for a team that's already a playoff team and, mm. and is trying to be a serious contender? And these are dif difficult uh, questions. Mm. Like uh, we know that when we're speaking about deep playoff teams that eventually it's going to be a seven or eight man rotation. And it's, it's hard to get there when you're joining a team that mm. already has an established seven or eight man rotation from the previous season. Mm. So it's very different. In Europe, you're basically signing that NBA guy he to, has be, to, to be your star. Yeah. Like yeah. you're paying Kendrick Nunn and he's going to be your second highest paid player on the roster or third. Top three. Yeah. Top three. So you're definitely signing him for an immediate effect. I think for a European, it's definitely better when you get drafted and you join the NBA early and they treat you differently. Like if They give talking, you playing time because you are a draft pick. Yeah. First round. If, you're, yeah, if you go they, first They round. invested their first round pick. Yeah. So that's why they're going to give you some opportunities. Second round doesn't really matter if you're, you're going to play if you're You really just good. need to fight then for your minutes and prove. Yeah. Anyway, yourself. Sasha Vizankov. Yeah, and to finish this transition, it's funny we're recording this pod after actually both 
Fava, former EuroLeague MVP, Sasha Vizenkov and Vasily Misic were coming up their season highs. Uh, Vizenkov had 11 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers and Vasa Misic just played this game tonight with 8 points and uh, 4 assists. But a lot of people were really concerned last week uh, when in the battle of two former EuroLeague MVPs, Vizenkov and Misic combined for 8 minutes in total and actually only Vizenkov was play, playing. So my question to you, would be, are you concerned? Should we be concerned about their role, about the future NBA in the, both cases? Oh, well, you didn't mention that Vazenkov was lighting the beam for the first Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that was nice. <laughs> Just yeah. before Vazenkov was super happy doing that. <laughs> yeah. It looks so nice. I mean, one game you get a DMP and then the next game you're lighting the beam, so. <laughs> you can't be sad about that. <laughs> it's a long season. It's a, a, 82 games in a regular season. And I feel more um, comfortable with Vazenkov in the position that he's in. He's playing in a, in, in a good system. And he's also a player that plays off ball. So once he's on that court, uh, he's going to get opportunities to shoot, catch and shoot opportunities. He can score. Uh, maybe sometimes for Coach Brown, it depends on the matchups. If he's going to trust Vizenkov that night or not, it depends on what the other team has on their second unit, for example. But uh, I feel okay with him. I think, uh, you know, in the long season, things might happen, injuries and stuff, and, and there will be good performances for sure. And it's easier for him. Like I said, he's an off-ball player. Mm -hmm. Mitzic is a different case. Uh, I, I'm not sure. He has a contract. Um, it's a contract we've discussed that can actually be uh, put in different trade scenarios. The team has not only Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Josh Gideon, Dort, uh, it's a young team where Mark Dagnall trusts other young guys like Kaysen Wallace, for example. Kaysen Wallace was their first round pick. He's ahead of Mitzic in the rotation as well. And Vasa Mitzic, if he's playing for three or four minutes and he plays one or two pick and rolls, well, he's not going to be effective. That's not mm. not his game. For, for Vasa Mitzic to be good... On an NBA team, I think it should be this way. Like, he's the leading point guard of the second unit. In that case, we could see Mitzic being good for playing 18 or 20 minutes per game, uh, having the ball in his hands, running the pick and roll, and uh, he would be averaging something like seven or eight points and four or five assists. But it, it seems unlikely that it's going to happen in Oklahoma, honestly. I really, I, I think uh, Mitic is in a much harder situation in the NBA. We just said, you know, if you are, if the team invests a first round pick into you, they're going to give you a playing time. And OKC is really high on their guys that they drafted. And uh, Mitic is in front of one of those guys. So I really think, I don't know, he, he's, he has to get his reputation up somehow. But how to do that if you are not playing? So unless a trade happens, unless an injury happens for some other players that we don't really wish, I don't think he's getting much playing time. Although today was a positive sign because he got minutes, you know, in the first quarter already. And then he played a lot more in the in the second half since it was a blowout win for, for OKC. Uh, Sasha's situation, I think, is much better. Uh, lineups with him uh, statistically look really good. Um, he actually looks... Uh, better than I expected defensively. Like, teams still try to target him, 
he he has done I think a pretty solid solid job uh, defending in one on one situations, and offensively he's going to get, you know, in that Sacramento offense he's going to get some shots. He's yeah a lot of times running wide open, but uh, it's just you know without the Aaron Fox uh, it was really hard for him to get those passes on point in time. The last game Fox came back, he immediately instantly got uh, probably his best game of the season. And Sabonis is trying to use him. You know, you can't imagine, unless it's Jokic, a better fit to play next to him. He's even trying to him. There was one play in transition where Sabonis got the rebound. He was running on the break and he's shouting, Vezenkov, come get this handoff. Come get his handoff so you can shoot in transition. So he trusts Sasha. He knows what he's capable of doing. And I expect, you know, more of these handoffs going forward. It's another team that emphasizes passing. Right. So, so it's good for for a player like Vizenkov. Just yeah. just my only thing is Trey Lyles. You know, when he comes back, that's a good question. Mm. Is he in front of Sasha in the rotations? Do you trust a guy that's already played for you last season more than you know mm. a European guy coming over that doesn't still doesn't have reputation? Even though Mike Brown, you know, he spoke really highly about uh, Sasha after her last game in the in, in post game interview. So. They know what Sashi is capable of doing, but there are guys on the team already that went to the playoffs last year with them. So, yeah, just the, uh, the last thing I wanted to say is, is like we're sitting here talking about Mitsich's situation as some important big thing. And for him, it is important, of course. Uh, he's on a contract, he's on a three year, 23 million deal, the third year's uh, club option, I think. Uh, but uh, for us, it looks important, and and we look at the box score. Oh, Mitsich didn't play so bad; he's in a bad situation. For Oklahoma, he's just another player, a regular mm-hmm. player. They can find somebody else if needed, anytime, every summer. For them, it's all about the process with Chet Holmgren. For them, it's all about uh, improving, developing Josh Giddy. You already have an established NBA superstar. Shea Gilgis Alexander, you're trying to build a team that's going to be a serious contender in, in three or four years. So everything is focused on developing Chet Holmgren. And you're not developing a 30-year-old point guard from Serbia. You're not going to develop him. You're just the coach. It's just up to him to decide, do I want to give him five minutes with the second union or not? And I mean, that's the way it is. That's the reality. But the thing is that they brought him there for a reason, because otherwise they should just keep the, these draft rights and that's yeah. it. Just keep keep him playing in Europe. But you know, they brought him there for a reason. And as I was told by by somebody, we we should trust Sam Presti because it's unlikely that Misich will get playing time and big opportunities in this team loaded with so much talents and uh, upside uh, in the backcourt. But I. I I would say, you know, Sam Presti and Thunder will try to increase his trade value. That's for sure. And maybe that's why Misic is not playing just some, you know, garbage time, trash minutes, uh, because it's not the best platform, you know, to to show his abilities and to increase his trade value. And that's why instead of getting three, four minutes per game, he's either playing or not. You know, like like this time with San Antonio, 19 minutes also was his uh, season high. So although Misic is not on their priority list, that's for sure, 
still they will try to find ways how to utilize him potentially to increase his trade value and then to see to explore some options that might turn out well also for for Masile Misic and you know it's not like this is something that Misic didn't expect you know he mm. also had the right mindset uh, getting over there he knew that uh, OGC is a tough situation for him but let let's see who is going to get injured who is not uh, load management a lot of stuff Let's not forget that OKC, they're also, you know, they're not losing team. They're also winning games. So it's not easy to get playing time over there as well. But, you know, they will try to find windows to help him to, you know, to showcase his abilities and also potentially to increase his value. In Vazenkov's case, Vazenkov's case is different. You know, Sacramento brought him as somebody who could who could help them straight away or you know in the long term there was no no such project like okay let's bring him here let's do something about it and trade his contract because Vasily Misic I was a bit surprised that he's actually he has the fifth highest contract in the OKC so there he's their oldest player I think uh Davis Bertens is oh, 31 Davis Bertens, and yeah. then Vasily Misic is second uh but with Sasha Vazenkov, you know, as you said, we have to understand, you know, the whole picture for us Europeans. Oh, Sasha, Vasa, they're the best players. Over there, they're nobody, to be honest. And they have to still prove their worth. And in Vazenkov's case, in his position and in the rotation and all the depth charts, mm. he has, you know, Harrison Barnes, uh, Keegan Murray, Trey Lyles. That's that's a good uh, mention because he might also change uh, their uh, rotations. And from what I hear, hear, Kings are really patient with Sasha Vazenkov. Uh, they like his desire to improve, to play, but also to adjust to the situation. He was out of the rotation recently, but just because Kings just lost a couple of games, Mike Brown decided to do some adjustments, you know, to find the a winning pattern they actually managed to win those games and you know sasha was out of that rotation and they just kept playing uh, with that rotation yeah. and now again sasha is getting his uh you know minutes and situations and you know with sasha the best thing is that he's in the right system it's probably the best system for him you know to uh to, to play his best game and it's up to him to adjust to improve his body as much as is possible you know uh, he's he's limited. It's not like you know he's twenty twenty year old guy, and you know just wait for his window. Uh, mm. Maybe that window will open. He will succeed, and he will get uh, he will earn a lot of minutes. But we shouldn't have huge expectations on on both of these no, guys. We're, we're not, not talking all stars. Exactly. Level, yeah, but you know like some that. people, some some fans are just you know having just wrong expectations. I would say you know like Nemanja Bielica left the Euroleague as an MVP. In the end, he became a solid role player in the NBA, but more of a spot-up shooter, somebody who doesn't have the ball in his hands that much, but he can stretch the floor, he can do some nice things. In the end, he even got a ring as a veteran player for Warriors playing in the NBA Finals and playing some important minutes and, and having the ball as a passer. So we're not expecting Vazenkov to be an all-star, but he could follow the footsteps of Nemanja Bielica, for example. I think Bielica also played for the Kings. Um, and, and the funny thing with NBA is that, you know, uh, you can always think about playing for teams like Charlotte Hornets or Washington Wizards where you could put up stats. Like mm. if you get Vasa Mitic yeah. on, on, on one of those teams and the coach says, like, you're going to play for 30 or 35 minutes, he would get stats. That's for sure. But is that important? Yeah. Especially if the, you, if you the probably second... want to be a part of a winning team and, yeah. and, and to play serious basketball and like... 
uh, one third of the NBA doesn't really play serious basketball in the regular season because they're more interested in losing than winning. That's the reality. And both of these guys that we're talking about, they are on teams that are interested in winning. Yeah. So there you have to fight for your spot. It's, it's obvious. <sighs> That's it for this podcast, I guess. Enjoy the rest of the double week. Uh, follow the yearly action on basketnews.com on our YouTube channel, social media accounts, and yeah, subscribe us on uh, join our Beyond Plus community on basketnews.com slash plus because once again the next week we're gonna have a Q&A session uh, exclusively available available only for Beyond Plus members and again a lot of a lot of good uh, features that we have. See you soon.